Nick Bosa signs the highest contract ever for a non-quarterback. Let's talk about that. Good morning, Panthers friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Panthers Podcast. Monday through Friday, every weekday. I'm your host, Wes Taylor. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the cast. And we've got news, at least some news. As I've said on this podcast, and as many people were speculating, we think that Brian Burns is waiting on Nick Bosa to sign And if that is the case, then it's time for some action, baby, because Nick Bosa has finally signed $170 million over five years, $34 million average annual value a year. My God, that is a lot of moolah. But what does it mean for Brian? Well, let me just go ahead and thwart a couple things. And I'm not going to talk about this too long because I have been hammering this Brian Burns thing. And there's not any real news as of recording this podcast. But I do want to cover this, this small piece. So Brian Burns is obviously waiting for Nick Bosa to sign. According to most people, Nick Bosa signs for $34 million. Uh, first thing I want to address is that does not make Brian Burns more expensive. This was an expected number. This was a normal jump to make. Uh, everyone kind of saw this coming. So I wouldn't put too much thought into like the price just went up. I mean, I guess in a, maybe a little, but not really. That's like kind of saying the price of gas is going up over the course of 100 years. It's like, yeah, it's, that's, that's what happens. Things are more expensive now than they were. That's just the value of a dollar today is worth more than a value of a dollar tomorrow. It doesn't mean that the Panthers are screwed because they waited too long. People saying that's why you lock up your young talent early. Sure, but a contract has to be signed by both parties. It is a contractual agreement. You can't have an agreement with only one party. So, yeah, I'm sure the Panthers would have loved to get this deal done months ago. Maybe even a year ago or two years ago, but... Ultimately, there is no way you can do that without Brian Burton signing the contract. And a lot of these contracts have worked out recently with these young players, especially these quarterbacks, someone like Pat Mahomes, where they sign him for $50 million a year and they end up winning a Super Bowl and everything works out fine. You know, that's that's happened a lot recently. I'm sure Josh Allen... They've made the playoffs, but you have also people like Kyle Mur- <laughs> Kyler Murray, oh my goodness, who signed his big fat contract and he got hurt, and they're kind of looking for a way out. It goes both ways. Uh, people are just like so set on like, we need to sign this guy immediately because it's going to work out and he's going to become too expensive for us. I It might work out and it might not. We can't just sign these guys after one good season. You never know what's going to happen. What if Brian Burns, heaven forbid, goes out there and gets hurt? Has a major injury? What if he turns out to not be great? What if he becomes bad as soon as he gets all his money? That happens a lot. So there's not really much the Panthers could have done about this one way or another. We've been negotiating for months at this point. 
these agents are waiting until the 11th hour to get as much money as possible because it makes it very difficult to settle on a number when you know that the next guy who comes around is just going to get more money. And no matter how high you go, the next guy who resets the market is going to reset it one way or another. That's just a matter of fact. So even if Nick Bosa would have gotten $36 million, the next guy would have gotten 37. If Nick Bosa would have gotten 33, the next guy would have gotten 35. I mean, it's all proportional. There's no way to avoid this. And this is where everything always gets so messy with these holdouts. But rarely ever does a holdout benefit the player. Even someone like Chris Jones. I think it's Chris Jones from the Chiefs who is holding out. At the end of the day, if he does hold out for eight games, he's going to lose like eight or nine million dollars. And he's never going to catch up to that. So... At some point, you have to swallow your pride and just say, I'm going to make a lot of money either way, so I might as well just play. And no, the Panthers did not give up all their leverage. We still have the franchise tag if we want it. And it still costs two first-round picks for someone to sign him away. And if he truly does want, what, $30 million or something, that's well above what a franchise tag would cost us, at least for the first year. So we have time. All of our bargaining chips are not done. The franchise tag still exists for a reason. If there was a sign-and-trade like there was in the NBA, I'm sure we'd be able to take advantage of that too. But at the end of the day, we're fine. The Panthers are fine. And Brian Burns, Nick Bosa, they will have an impact. But also T.J. Watt. You cannot sign Brian Burns for more than T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt just got signed last year, so don't give me this. It gets expensive, more expensive every year. Maybe every like two or three years, but not the next year. When Max Crosby signs for 23 and T.J. Watt signs for 28, and then Nick Bosa signed for 34, but Nick Bosa is better than T.J. Watt, and T.J. Watt is also much better than Brian Burns. So, yeah, no, not in the same conversation. What, like the price of a Ferrari going up doesn't affect the Ford F-150? Come on. It's apples and oranges, people. But that's all I'm going to say about the contract dispute at this point. There's not any more news, and I'm not going to string people along with any other talk about it because we have talked this into the ground at this point. So if more news becomes available tomorrow, then we could talk through it. But until this point on this wonderful Thursday morning, Oh my God, the game is three days away and Brian Burns still hasn't signed. But until that point, I have nothing else for this conversation. So thanks for listening to that. Now let's move on. We do have a problem outside of Brian Burns and that is our freaking offense cannot stay healthy. Oh my gosh, man. Adam Thielen is hurt. Terrace Marshall is hurt. DJ Chark is hurt. We've got LaVisca Chenault coming back from a concussion, and he can't run a route. Looks like our acquisitions are going to be playing, playing sooner rather than later. We might have to elevate somebody off the practice squad in week one. My God. Everyone on our wide receiving core is hurt. So I feel bad for Bryce Young already because the people who don't watch the Panthers will already be saying, oh, well, Bryce Young's a bust. He didn't throw for 300 yards. You know what we are going to do, though, is run the dang ball. We're going to run the ball until it explodes. If you got Miles Sanders on your fantasy team, if he can stay healthy for 60 minutes, 
he is going to win you a game on Sunday because we are not throwing the ball more than 20 times. I just don't see it. There's no way. I just don't see it because the Falcons are going to hold the ball. They're going to run the ball effectively like they always do. There's going to be some long smash mouth possessions. Those defenses are going to make us, and we're going to make them drive up the field and not make mistakes. That's what it's going to be. So my final score prediction for Falcons versus Panthers is somewhere in the like 24 to 21 range, 24, 20, maybe if I had to guess. Actually, 23 to 20 would be my guess if I had to go out on a limb and guess. Who's going to win that? I really don't know. It's probably just going to be whoever has the ball last because we have a good kicker. They have a good kicker. We can make this thing happen. So I don't know what the over-under is, but 46. That is, I would stay below 46 because 23 to 20 seems about right. One, one score a quarter for each team. Not many possessions to be had in this game uh, because B. John Robinson and Tyler Algier is going to run all over. Desmond Ritter is probably going to have some attempts. And then we're going to try to run the ball too with Miles Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, and company Blackshear. If Miles Sanders isn't able to go, Chuba Hubbard's getting a lot more play than I thought he would. For a running back in the fourth round who I really didn't have a second thought about, Chuba Hubbard is really had a big impact and he's gotten to play a lot more and I've said his name a lot more than I thought I would and at this point as a fourth rounder he's really gotten his play he's earned his money's worth he's gotten his name out there enough I guess that kind of goes along with the fact that our running backs are pretty much replaceable at this point so someone like Chuba Hubbard getting a lot of play that kind of plays into the fact of the owners of like hey y'all are replaceable nobody has a bigger impact than fourth round running backs so, either way, whatever you want to say about that situation, Chuba Hubbard has gotten his money's worth out of this career already. And it's only going to go up from here. I expect to see a healthy dose of Miles Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, some play-action pass, a lot of play-action, some quick passes. I don't know if we're going to be able to go downfield right now. Uh, we don't have any separation with our receivers Watching our offense in the preseason was already hard enough, and now Adam Thielen is hurt. Miles Sanders is probably questionable. He'll probably play at this point. But I am a little worried about our ability to move the ball, especially in the air. I think it's going to be tough for us to continue to compete if our receivers who are already banged up aren't getting separation. Jonathan Mingo needs to show out. That we need 100 yards from Jonathan Mingo, or we are not winning this game. We need 100 yards from Mingo, and we need 150 yards rushing at the very least. That is what we need to win the game on Sunday. If we get 150 yards rushing and 100 yards passing, honestly, I think that will be enough to win this game. I think our defense can stop them, settle for field goals, but if we can get ahead. If we can get more than, if we get 10 points of separation, we score a touchdown, hold them, score a field goal, and we start 10-0, y'all, it's over at that point. If they have to pass the ball at all, if we force them to pass the ball in any way, shape, or form, this game is donezo. They cannot pass the ball. They cannot pressure the quarterback. We 
and that's another thing. Maybe we do need to pass the ball, but that's hard because we're playing into their only weakness. Their really big weakness last year was not being able to pressure the quarterback. Now, they do have a pretty much revamped defense, for better or for worse. We don't really know. The stats from last year don't quite correlate because it is a lot of new guys on that side of the ball with Calais Campbell and company, Jesse Bates, etc. And they didn't pressure the quarterback a lot last year, but this is also not nearly the same defense. But different doesn't necessarily mean better, and Panthers fans know that better than anyone. So at the end of the day, as it would seem, we are playing into their weakness because we have no receivers who can get open and get separation. We have no receivers who can really get the ball. I mean, we saw it during preseason. These guys just are not getting open. They're not getting separation. And Bryce Young is having a hard time getting the the ball because he doesn't have time to throw. But when you have the least pressurizing, the, the defense with the least amount of pressures last season, the last two seasons, they've had trouble pressuring the ball. So maybe it's not a personnel thing because I don't think that they had the exact same personnel from one year to the other. But that's the part that really really sits with me is that two separate years they've been like this and as Panthers fans we kind of know two separate years you know it's a completely different team it's nothing like last year but regardless of personnel the culture of the team is that such a way is that it's not great at pressuring the quarterback and I feel that way about the Panthers offense too in that our bad quarterback play and our losing mentality is kind of a culture thing at this point how else do you have teams that win year after year after year? Someone like the Steelers or the Packers, they hardly ever lose games because of a culture fit. It is a culture thing. The 49ers is a good example of that. Rarely ever do they stay down long, whether it's having Colin Kaepernick as their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, Brock Purdy, whoever that is, they have the ability to draft well, and they have a good culture. It's not just drafting well either. It's a culture thing as well. The Steelers have proven that you don't necessarily need a top five pick to turn your defense, to turn your offense, to turn your culture around. If you have a winning culture, the standard is the standard. And that's the way that it's going to be. And this is the beginning of that. And we need to stop relying on those top 10 picks to be able to change our fortunes. I know that's easier said than done. But just look at someone like the 49ers, for example. They lost three top five picks to, well, maybe not top five, but three first round picks in their trade with Trey Lance, who isn't playing. And yet they're still fine. You have the Steelers who haven't drafted in the top five in like 30 years. They're doing just fine. I want to be like those franchises. I don't want to have to rely on, oh no, Adam Thielen, this very average, no offense to Adam Thielen or anyone, but this very average receiving core is hurt. We are in trouble. If that's what stops us from winning on Sunday, then we have more problems than that. Our receiving core at this point is very weak, both physically and also just on paper. Someone like DJ Chark, you had to know that he was going to get hurt at some point, and he already is. It's a law of averages, and unfortunately for us, these averages have reared their ugly head early. And it's, I feel like, statistically 
outside, like it's an outlier for us to have so many injury-prone receivers already injured. Jonathan Mingo, knock on wood, has not had an injury history that much. I mean, every guy's got some sort of injury, but with DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault, it's kind of a habitual, chronic injury. There's always something going on. They're always banged up. They've always got a hammy pull. They've always got a shoulder problem, something. All sorts of problems and injuries that are going on with our receiving core before they even got to us. And you think, like, you know, maybe they'll get hurt. Maybe they won't. Maybe one of them will get hurt at this point. Maybe one of them will get hurt at another point. But now they're all hurt at the same time. Really, it's just a Jonathan Mingo show. So expect to see everybody complain about all these tight ends. Really not all these tight ends. Now we only have three tight ends. We have Ian Thomas, Hayden Hurst, and Tommy Tremble. Steven Sullivan is on the IR. That was something they knew that they were going to do from the jump. They just had to have him on their roster for 24 hours so they could make that move. And then we've got someone like Giovanni Ricci, who is more of a special teams guy. The tight end label is more of just a, you have to organize the players somehow. You can't just call them, you can't just make up a position. You have to put them within the positions that already exist. So tight end is probably the most closely related fullback, whatever you want to call it. But he's really a special teams ace. That's what he's here for. And you're not just going to put special teams next to his name. It has to be some kind of position. So I wouldn't think too much into that either. So we really only have three tight ends. So if we wanted to, and I think that we will, I think that there is going to be a lot of 12 personnel going in here, especially with all of these injured wide receivers. If we see Bryce Young in the backfield by himself, you know, you kind of get hype. You're like, oh my God, we're passing. This is going to be good. And then you have to think about like, well, wait, who is, who's out there? (laughs) What receivers are catching the ball right now because I can tell you right now Terrace Marshall is probably not playing I'd say 90% sure Terrace Marshall will not play Adam Thielen will be limited I can about guarantee you that depending on how bad his injury is Uh, DJ Chark will be limited he might give it a go but those hammies they don't just go away LaVisca Chanel is not going to suddenly become a game changer in as a receiver as a receiver I think that he can play that joker role as they give Cordero Patterson. He and Cordero are kind of a one-to-one comparison, except Cordero is much better. Well, I guess not maybe one-to-one comparison in play style, but Cordero Patterson is head and shoulders above LaVisca Chanel at this point in his career. Revitalization or not. So LaVisca might get some action, but it won't be as a receiver, I don't think. If it is, it's going to be some more of those flares. Y'all wanted to clown McAdoo, call him McAdoo-doo like a bunch of children, and make fun of his play call, but he knew how to use LaVisca Schnall on all those flares. I mean, there's a reason why the man runs flares exclusively in his route tree. His route tree is more of a route shrub at this point. Just very small, very shallow, not doing too much. And you, if you watch those routes that he has run up to this point, he's not cutting routes short enough. He's not breaking hard enough. He's just not a great route runner, and that's just the case also speaking of great route runners dj moore we've got dj moore beef now he said that the media in chicago is just bigger it's a bigger city and there's more publicity and one of the reporters from chicago tweeted it and joe person and sheena quick responded 
and made fun of him and asked if it made him feel better. So even the media have beef with Chicago right now. And let me just be honest with you. There is just as much pressure on Chicago as there is us right now. At this point, it's Chicago has had the number one overall pick and declined to use it because they bet on Justin Fields. Now, whether or not you want to believe this, that's up to you. But I feel like, what's his name, Ryan Ryan Pace, is that his name? The GM from the Bears has bet his job on Justin Fields. There are certain players that GMs have to bet their jobs on. And by not drafting a quarterback first overall, that's it. Justin Fields is your guy. You're probably not going to get the chance to go first overall again. So they've pretty much said, we're okay with Justin Fields. That's who we want. And um, if you recall, the Panthers had the chance to draft Justin Fields. And uh, they took, I think, J.C. Horn instead. And I think most of us are happy with that. But at this point in their careers, you'd rather have Patrick Sertan just because of the health thing. I think talent-wise, they're pretty close. But I'd rather have a guy who can play than one who can't. And J.C. Horn right now has been hurt so much that people don't even know who he is outside of Panthers fans. Panthers fans are like, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan are comparable. But everyone else outside of Panthers fans are like, they are not even in the same stratosphere. Patrick Sertan is head and shoulders above him. And I see where they're coming from. It's hard to root, or not root, it's hard to evaluate a guy who hasn't been on the field as much and he's had two different seasons ended by breaking a bone and two completely different bones too it's not like a lingering issue I don't know what you consider injury prone but third year's the charm he's got to stay out on the field and I'll be interested to see what he looks like the Falcons already can't pass the ball so we're able to make Desmond Ritter throw the ball and this is where it could go wrong for the Falcons if they get a little overconfident there's Okay, there are some spaces in which us versus the Falcons are like night and day. Our cornerbacks versus Desmond Britter, not a chance for Desmond. But their tight ends versus our linebackers, nightmare for our linebackers. Nightmare. Frankie Louvu and Shaq Thompson cannot cover Kyle Pitts. We saw what happened when Darren Waller came out on the field. And Daniel Jones is a much better quarterback than Desmond Ritter at this point in his career. But our linebackers can't cover. So there's one or two things that could happen if they try to throw the ball. Either A, they try to throw the ball to their receivers. Desmond Ritter throws three picks in the first half. And all hell breaks loose for them. Or B, he gets the ball to Kyle Pitts, who is so open that Desmond Ritter doesn't even have to be accurate. And they slice us, dice us, and burn our house down with Kyle Pitts and they don't even have to worry about passing the ball to the receivers and they are able to successfully run the ball because our linebackers have to be so worried about Kyle Pitts we've got to get physical with Kyle Pitts off the line of scrimmage because he will destroy our linebackers if given the chance and that's a knock on our linebackers I'm sorry in coverage yes they cannot knock but they defend the run well that's why I'm kind of like eh we might be okay because our run defense our middle linebackers defend the run well our defensive line outside of that one position can defend the run just fine Derek Brown Brian Burns if he decides to play if not we'll figure it out but you know our linebackers defend the ball well our safeties defend the ball well Jeremy Chin 
is good in run defense. J.C. Horn is good in run defense. Dante Jackson, good enough. Not everyone can be excel at stopping the run. So if we make the Falcons throw the ball, it could spell trouble. But maybe not as much trouble as you might think. Kyle Pitts scares me. That man is a basically a receiver at linebacker. And I don't know what the solution will be. I don't know if we'll put a cornerback on him. But it's hard because you can't run nickel or dime with an offense that runs the ball so well because they'll just run it on us. But you can't use a linebacker to cover him because he'll just beat us. Really what we're relying on is Desmond Ritter's inaccuracy. We need to be able to cover Kyle Pitts for about two seconds. That's all we need. Two seconds to cover Kyle Pitts. And then hopefully at that point, we will have gotten to him. Now, if Brian Burns isn't there, that's a whole different ballgame. And I'm really think I'm thinking that their fans are probably really hoping that Brian Burns will not be there. But if he is, and he's able to get pressure on Desmond Ritter, I really don't see how the Falcons win this game. You know, I just, if we're able to stop the run, big if, but if we are, which I think we will be able to, then really all we have to worry about is Kyle Pitts. I think that's our biggest weakness right there is Kyle Pitts. And Drake London's not bad either. I'm not taking anything away from him either. But our cornerbacks can cover fine. I don't think Drake London's going to cause any problems for our secondary, to be completely honest with you, even if it was one-on-one. He ain't beating Dante Jackson, and he ain't beating J.C. Horn, unless Dante gets hurt again. But Jake, Drake London will get shut down. It'll be a seatbelt time if he goes up against J.C. Horn all game, so I'm not worried about him. I am worried about Kyle Pitts, and it's mostly a situational thing. I have respect for Drake London, but I, and I have respect for Kyle Pitts, but I just don't see how our linebackers are going to cover him. If they run these flood concepts, these crossers, things like that, and maybe we just run zone and try to try to beat it out, but it's harder to cover the run if you're in zone. Maybe a little zone blitz schemes. I don't know. We got to figure something out because we simultaneously, if we try to stop the run, they go to Kyle Pitts. If they go to Kyle Pitts, then we got to stop the run. It's a catch twenty two, and. What's going to happen? I don't know, but I'm not worried about Desmond Ritter, obviously. And, I, you, you know, I think talking through it, talking through it with y'all, I think we'll be fine on Sunday if Brian Burns plays. Because here's what will happen. They'll try to run the ball. We'll stop the run. So then they have to pass. And we know that Drake London's getting seatbelt put on him. They have to go to Kyle Pitts. So then, really, all we have to stop is Kyle Pitts. And B. John Robinson's kind of an X factor because he can catch the ball out of the backfield. And we also have to cover him with the linebacker potentially. So B. John and Kyle Pitts might present some matchup problems for us overall. But I'm sure our coaching staff is smart enough to figure that one out. Hero of Arrow is one of the great young minds in the NFL. So it really, that's where the matchups lie, that's where the game is won or lost. Is B. John Robinson out of the backfield? And Kyle Pitts out of maybe the backfield, maybe not. And then Cordero Patterson always is kind of a little a little bit of a question mark too. I'm really not too worried about Cordero Patterson. 
to be honest with you. I think our problems are going to be with Bijan and Kyle Pitts. Um, so I think what will this is my guess. This is just my prediction. I think what will happen is that they will be able to run the ball semi-effectively. They will come out, run the ball, take it down the field on the first possession, score a touchdown. Okay? I think that we will make adjustments, and they will not be able to do that again. And they will have to resort to passing the ball. And they will try to do some stuff out of the backfield with Bijan, Cordero, some stuff to Kyle Pitts. I don't think it's going to work that well. And I think after that first possession, after they go and score a touchdown, we're going to march right down the field too. Maybe not on the next possession. Within the first two possessions, we're scoring a touchdown. So I think coming out of the first quarter, it's going to be 7-7. And then starting the second quarter, I think we're going to start to dominate. And I think by the time halftime rolls around, it's going to be 17-7. to And then we'll come out in the third quarter. That will be the difference maker in the game. How do we come out in the third quarter? Because we have... That was the difference in the Matt Rule era coming in the third quarter. We always lost the third quarter. We always came out flat. Frank Reich is 0 for in his first five games as a head coach in the first one. This is the sixth one. This is time to break through. But that third quarter is going to be the difference maker between winning and losing. And I think we come out just fine. I think we kind of tie him up. So we go into the fourth quarter up. 24 to 14 maybe somewhere around there 23 to 14 and then by the end of the game 23 20 yeah 20 26 20 somewhere around there so yeah i think i think we'll be fine i think that's how the game will play out that's my guess so my final score prediction 24 20 panthers win and um yeah i think it comes down to winning the first half and then winning or tying the third quarter. And then fourth quarter, we'll, we might lose the fourth quarter. But that's my prediction. So 24-20 final score prediction, Panthers versus Falcons. Book it. We're three and a half dogs. So Vegas has us somewhere around there. So if we cover. And um, they say home field is worth about three points. So if we were playing at Bank of America, it would probably be pretty even. But yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. Peace.